everyone, and welcome to the James Inc. Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Jesse Orge. I'm here with my fellow co-host. Hello. Hello, this is Elisa, Elisa Bell, and I am the executive director and founder of James Inc. Today we're here with Dr. Marilyn Troop. Um, Dr. Marilyn Troop was a an educator at the Margaret Hudson program in 7980 when I was a student there. However, she started uh, in 1969, and um, she has a lot of uh, history that we are interested in hearing. And having said that, I'll let uh, Dr. Troop introduce herself. Okay, thank you. I'm Marilyn K. Troop, a graduate of Langston University undergrad, and when I came to Margaret Hudson, I had been out of college about two years and was looking for a teaching job. And that was one that became open to me. It was new. It was different. It was actually homebound teaching at the time where we were located at the old YWCA and you had to go uh, get the books from the schools for each student uh, that came in. So that meant that if the student came from Booger T, I had to go to Booger T, Washington and pick up the books for all the subjects they were taking. And that was the time, too, that uh, we had three teachers and we each taught everything in a uh, single class. We each had a classroom. And so we were confined and contained um, to teach at least 10 girls in all different subjects, whatever they were taking. It was only um, maybe about five or six years later that we uh, decided to departmentalize and the teachers who were um, trained or certified in certain areas because we all weren't really qualified to teach science or math and some of the other subjects, but we were qualified to teach what we were certified in, which I was certified in social studies. So I took social studies and then um, it wasn't until after I left, uh, well, while I was at Margaret Hudson, I worked on my master's in history from OSU. And then after I left Margaret Hudson and left teaching altogether, I went and uh, received my doctorate from OSU as well. Another cowboy that we're, they were interviewing here. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> exactly. You but and I'm more a lion. Okay. Oh, Langston lion. Mm. Absolutely. Fantastic. Now, you said there were three teachers initially, and you had about 10 students each. So in the early days, you, you had at least a minimum of 30 young women Mormon, there yes. in the school. We did. Um, do you remember interacting with the leadership at the time? Or when you said this was a new uh, opportunity and a new job, how was it presented to you? And... Um, what was the, the feeling of the leadership and the community around the program? Well, uh, the way it was presented to me was uh, uh, there was a job opening. And, <laughs> and um, we were still part of Tulsa Public Schools. We were hired by Tulsa Public Schools, but we worked at the um, Margaret Hudson program. It was relatively new. And it was basically because uh, people wanted to get pregnant girls out of the schools and so that's the reason why it was set up. It was not well received in all uh, areas. And there was some backlash from some of the religious people. And girls who came to Margaret Hudson, especially our African-American uh, girls, were sort of ridiculed in their churches and 
church and the, I, this is something I remember and I thought it was horrible. They, if they belonged to a church and they got pregnant, they had to get up in front of the church and ask forgiveness and be forgiven by the church. Now, the young man was not asked to do that, mm-hmm. but the young girls were. And some of the girls just preferred uh, prefer to just drop out of church mm-hmm. as opposed to because it was so embarrassing. So was that across denominations or? I only heard it from our Baptist girls, girls who belong to the Baptist church. I'm sorry. Now, the leadership at Margaret Hudson was, of course, Laura Skatchel and Lynn Stewart were very welcoming because we had staff meetings all the time uh, to acclimate ourselves to what they were doing. They were just getting started, so they were setting up a lot of different things for the girls, especially the healthcare part and having doctors and nurses and counselors and things come in. And as we grew, then that part of it grew as well. Do you remember the first pregnant or parenting teen you connected with while working at the Margaret Hudson program? No, I do not remember remember names. Uh, and I probably wouldn't give you a name anyway. But I can remember the group, uh, the first group I had, because um, they, I didn't look much older than they were. In fact, they thought I was too young to be teaching because I was right out of college. And um, so the reason why I remember them was because they used to talk to me. Now, we need to talk to you about uh, you don't want to get pregnant. <laughs> so they were teaching me the uh, facts of life. <laughs> In other words, it was fun. It was all in fun. We had a good time. They were a nice group of girls. They understood why they were there. They weren't embarrassed about it. And we had a really interesting time because I thought I needed to do more than just teach them the uh, academics. And so we talked about life issues and um, took them on. We went on trips because we uh, had a van and so it, uh, one class could get in the van, and so we would go on different trips. What's an example of one of those trips? I took them to the police station, um, and we went down to the jail to see what it was like to be in jail and to let them know you never wanted to be there. And what happened, though, was one of my students sometime later did uh, end up killing someone and went to jail, went to prison, in fact. And one of the things she said is I didn't listen, you know, when we had that experience. It's not, it is really isn't fun. Uh, You know, when they were just there knowing they were going to get out, it was like, it was fun. Uh, They thought it was funny, but uh, it really is. And she realized that. Do you remember the reason you, you chose the jail as the first Activity, it it seems like that would be not the natural field trip experience for a pregnant teenager. Was there an event or something? Yeah, it really was a natural experience for them at the time because they had experienced so many, so much trauma in their lives by the time they reached us. And so trying to, uh, you know, like fighting and stealing and just other issues they had. They needed to know about how to 
take care of themselves where they didn't want to be and where they wanted to be, you know, because we would go to some positive things like the museums and stuff mm-hmm. like that, expose them to those kinds of things, which they'd never been exposed to. And then none of them uh, really at that time had been to a jail to see what it's like. A lot of them had boyfriends who had been to jail, family members who had been to prison and things. So I wanted them to see what it was like so they would know they did not want to go there and uh, what kind of things you do that make you cause you to go there. And then we also looked, the police station had a, a map showing the crime rate all over Tulsa. And they and they gave them a little talk. It was and at that time, I think they were doing the scared straight things on TV. And I thought this was a good uh, way to get them to experience that. That's really interesting. Uh, you brought up trauma, the, the word trauma. And now that's such a big buzzword in our community. And we've learned about the adverse childhood experience and the ACE scores. Um, Those measurements of trauma have become such a huge buzzword and part of the experience that we're looking at. And for you to say that even back in the early 60s and 70s when it wasn't one makes me want to know from the time you got there until you left, what differences did you see in the population? Was trauma just that that high trauma score still very much a part, or excuse me, those high incidences of trauma still a big part of it at the end? Um, or, or were there differences from year to year? It, uh, I can't say that there was a difference from the, big, the first time I went until the time I left, because different girls uh, that, uh, as girls came in, they usually didn't stay with us but a year. Sometimes... Uh, they graduated and they went on. But what happened was girls be, uh, started coming to us younger. And that was a, a big issue. I the, the youngest girl I had was 12 years old. And so, and some of them were, were pregnant by family members mm-hmm. and are by boyfriends who had multiple girlfriends pregnant. And sometimes they would end up at Margaret Hudson at the same time. And then that... You know, that's when I can remember that the worst thing I ever happened to me was having to break up a fight between two pregnant girls because they were pregnant by the same guy. And they didn't understand to not take it out on each other, but it was something wrong with the guy. And he's the one that you don't jump on him, but both of you need to leave. But they continued to have uh, trauma. We didn't understand. I knew about it because I had had some classes in college and I'd taken some classes afterwards uh, counseling kids with issues, but we had no idea of anything about mental health issues and how to address those. And I don't even know if we used the word trauma at that time. That wasn't really in our vocabulary, but I, now I know that's what it was. And so they were depressed because they'd been taken out of their classrooms. Some of them had been kicked out of their homes. I even had a young girl whose parents had sent her from Pennsylvania to Tulsa to go to the Clara Dittenton home, I think it was, 
back over in Osage, uh, down from Gilcrease Museum. She, I stayed in contact with her for quite some time, even after she left. She understood what happened, but she didn't understand why her parents had to send her so far, and she was so lonely. When I left Margaret Hudson and actually ended up in college, uh, Ms. Hill gave me, afforded me the opportunity to come back and talk about my college experience mm-hmm. to encourage young women to um, strive, just strive beyond high school. In 79, 80, the feeling was if we could just get you out of high school, mm-hmm. we were we were successful. Um, and then by the time I got to college and realized the benefits of college, I knew that they needed more. And so I would talk about my experience. Since I have been working in the field for five or so, well, I've been working with teen pregnant teenagers probably for 25 years, but solely in the field for the last five to six years, what I have found is in 79, 80, all my friends who were at Margaret Hudson, we all had mothers and we had family support. I don't see that with this generation Mm -hmm. of young people. Um, What are your thoughts about that? Well, that was um, some of our girls had parents support and they had a support system, but some, their parents were almost as young as they were. And um, the parent, the mothers, some of them came from uh, single parent homes and the mothers were the ones. And some of the mothers felt like they were too young to be having grand grandchildren and, Uh, They hadn't lived their life, so they didn't want to be babysitting and taking care of of, uh, their daughter's baby. And so the daughter sometimes end up taking care of her baby and if her mother had any other kids because mother wanted to go out and party. Then the other thing was the more babies you had, they thought the more money you could get on welfare. And so that was an issue, and you had to... We were trying to work with them to let them know they did not want to be on welfare all their lives. It might be necessary to get started, but getting an education or going to, uh, we encourage to go to Votech or junior college or college, whichever one uh, they thought they could do. Some girls did take um, did take that advice, and some just went out and got them a job and start working. I know several who went and started working on their own, took care of their children, had got very good jobs with some of the larger corporations, even out of high school because they left high school with a, a number of skills and then they learned on the job. And so they have been doing very well, were very hard workers, raised their kids, had maybe had more kids. And I see uh, some of them, I see very often in the community, uh, serving their church, uh, serving the community, and so for some, it worked. For some, it did not. So would you say that the Margaret Hudson program was a success at what it intended to do? It was a success at what it intended to do. And that was to continue the young girl's education and not have a break. Because at, at before then, uh, when you got pregnant, you dropped out of school, you may not go back at all. And that may just be it. But at least they could continue their education. And then when they had their baby and they were ready to go back, they could go back to school and finish. Or uh, I think later on, maybe they let some of them finish there. Um, I think as Margaret Hudson grew and moved uh, with other directors, they were able to stay there and end their, their school year at Margaret Hudson. But a lot of them wanted to go back 
uh, to their home school and graduate with their classes. Um, you mentioned earlier that one of your worst days was breaking up a fight between two students. Mm-hmm. Um, what was one of your best days? Oh, gosh, probably seeing my uh, students graduate from high school, because that was a big accomplishment we were trying to main, uh, maintain. And then seeing those who went to college graduate from college, those were my best days, I because I felt like they had uh, absorbed what we were trying to teach them and were putting it into practice. And uh, they were like you talking to other girls, uh, trying to keep them from getting pregnant. And I think for a short time, long after I had left, though, the unwed mothers, what they used to be called, pregnancy rate went down. I'm not sure what it is now. Um, right now, we are still in the top 10. We're like number three in the nation. Oh, our okay. our uh, rates with the younger girls, the, the 13, 14, 15-year-old mm-hmm. teens, those numbers are going down. But we consider, continue to see small increases in the 18 to 19-year-old population. Um, there is a current program that is embedded in the school system now called Strong Tomorrows, which functions very much in the same vein that the Margaret Hudson program did. Um, this, it's actually embedded in the school, but they also bring in the resources that the that the young parents need, both male and female, that the young parents need in order to be successful and to not um, drop out of school or not get lost in the shuffle, so to speak, when we're talking about credit recovery. And it's there to help them to maintain their academic, uh, an appropriate level of academic mm-hmm. performance. Mm-hmm. Another shout out to the amazing organization that's Strong Tomorrows, <laughs> which comes up a lot in our conversations. Absolutely. Yeah, and I guess, and I'm glad they have that now because when they shut down Margaret Hudson, I guess it was last year or a year before. We Some of us were very upset about that because we knew there were still uh, girls who were pregnant in in school. And I was concerned about what was going to happen to them, if they were going to stay in school or drop out or what. But uh, I guess here I did not know about what the schools were actually doing. Um, that program is in the school. It's been in the school now. I think it's going into its fourth year. Okay. Um, it's become very popular. I've uh, enjoyed watching it grow and develop. It started out at Nathan Hale mm-hmm. and then transitioned to Central and also um, East Central and then McLean as well. And so now there are, there is a strong tomorrow presence in most of the uh, TPS high schools. Mm-hmm. And those that are close to the mid-high, the junior high schools also will work with anyone that needs their services at the lower levels. So they they are doing a fantastic job. From James' perspective, there still is a large number of 17, 18, 19-year-olds who, for whatever reason, have dropped out of school. Um, They're experiencing a first pregnancy in their late teens, and they don't have a real direction. Mm -hmm. And because they have been out of the loop, they're kind of flying under the radar. Mm -hmm. And so James serves um, to find those young ladies, um, the ones that graduate from high school and work through Strong Tomorrows. We hope to transition them to our program, but then we also hope to 
provide our basic services and our main services to that population that's flying under the radar. Okay. You indicated when you, you were just out of high out of college when you went into Margaret Hudson, who were your role models and your mentors and what was your ultimate goal as a professional? Well, uh, when I went to college, I really hadn't planned to be a teacher. It was my mom who told me that that's what you can get a job in because, you know, there weren't, back in uh, 67, there weren't a lot of um, vocations or professions that African-American women could go into uh, unless you were a secretary or a school teacher or a nurse. And I had first wanted to be a secretary, but I wanted to be a corporate secretary, which my mother let me know there were no black women in the corporate <laughs> offices. Um, I probably could have gone to work in some of the uh, oil industry places, but I wasn't, I didn't take accounting. So a lot of my friends from Langston who were in the accounting uh, program got, did get jobs there. So I decided to go into teaching and my mom influenced me as well as uh, many of the teachers at Booker T. Washington High School uh, that I admired. Uh, Gertie B. Crawford was one in particular who influenced me a lot because she was a good friend of my mom's. And so I, I followed teaching and it turned out I liked it, uh, especially when I uh, could teach social studies because I like history. All of that. Um, Dr. Tripp, you said you were 76 and you didn't mind me saying that on the air. Um, And at 76, so many people say that they uh, don't know what they're curious about or what they're interested in. Can you tell us what you're interested in right now and excuse me, or what you're learning or what you're reading? Yes. Well, um, what I'm interested in right now uh, are our children in uh, elementary school. I do volunteer work. Um, and right, um, I used to, uh, well, I'm a, a member of the Lynx Incorporated. And so we do an art program of third uh, graders last year, fourth graders this year, and it was at Gilcrease, but this year is going to be at John Ho Franklin. And working with those students uh, and trying to help them, um, part of the issue is their reading skills are very low, and they, in fact, their whole um, background, uh, they are having a, a bad start. Uh, trying to help bring them up to uh, a level of interest in school and doing some things with them uh, to help them to uh, want to come to school and want to learn. The other thing I'm doing is I teach uh, a religious class for our church, and I have the fourth graders. Last year I had third graders. This year I have the fourth graders. And part of teaching them about their faith, I'm also teaching them to read. Because some of them are are fairly good readers, but our children don't have enough opportunities to read, to read to themselves or read to adults or for adults to uh, work with them on their reading. So, uh, and because social studies is my uh, background, we also learn history because a lot of times they don't know where they are, uh, what state they're in, what country they're in, and, and that there are other continents of the world and, and interest them in wanting to see the world. Um, my other interest, though, is just uh, working with uh, people um, 
of any age group. You know, I have groups I work with who are older than my age, having fun with them. We do have fun at 76. <laughs> but my biggest interests are, are children. And I have, I do, I buy a lot of children's books because I also have a, a little niece and nephew that I pick up uh, twice a week and making sure that they are on target with their reading and other uh, academics in their school, helping their mom out. Uh, if necessary, I can I go up to the school and check on their uh, test scores and things to make sure they're on grade level or above. Um, but my biggest interest is uh, are the young people of our uh, of this city, uh, especially in in the north side of town, who are getting a very poor education. Um, and we all should be concerned about it. That because that. Sorry, let me put this in. Because when you're not educated, then you tend that in, that increases your high pregnancy rate. Absolutely. And having said that, as part of our learning opportunities for our young parents, what we found is so many young parents don't understand the correlation between third grade reading scores. In the cradle to, to prison pipeline. Yes. Um, so we try to educate them on those and the importance of scores, but then they don't understand how to read the scores that um, are sent home. Um, they don't understand their rights mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. FERPA. Um, they don't under. There's so many aspects of um, just the basic information that a parent needs that these young people never get and never understand. So in support of your efforts toward the reading program, we're also trying to provide um, education to the parents to understand why it's important. Most people say you need to read to your kid. So many organizations come in and talk about the importance Mm -hmm. of reading to the kid and helping the kid to read, but they don't make the connection that there is a real correlation between those two things. So we apply. And, I apply and that's you for true that. because, you know, when I was growing up, um, my father had an eighth grade reading level. And so, but he knew I was learning to read. So what he would have me do when we'd come in, um, he liked to read the newspaper. And so he'd have me read the newspaper to him. And that's what reinforced my reading. And my mom would listen to me read. We I learned phonics. And so in phonics, you say by syllable. And she used to say, when are you going to be able to put the words together? <laughs> so, but eventually I did learn that. But that reading, and now I'm an avid newspaper reader. The other thing is I lived in Kentucky for a long time. And one of the things they had there was the uh, Pritchard Committee. And the Pritchard Committee's main purpose was training parents to be advocates in the schools for parents who couldn't go to school or didn't know what to say in the schools. And I've talked to a couple of groups here to try to get them to do that, but nobody seems to be interested. That was the most insightful uh, organization I had seen. Because they did, they, they, it was a nonprofit, so they get money from corporate people and stuff, and they would, uh, you had to apply, parents to apply, and they train you for a year, and then 
you were uh, the advocate in the school when the parent needed someone to go to the school and see what was going on with their kid. Uh, when they needed to know why was the kid being sent home, why wasn't the kid learning, uh, what is the issue with the uh, with the reading score, because they do reading scores too and math and writing. And they were the ones who spoke up for the parents when the sp- parent could not speak up for themselves. And it's called the Pritchard? The Pritchard Committee. Committee. And it's named after Mr. Pritchard. I can't remember his first name, but... Pritchard Committee should be, you should be able to find it on the internet. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say it's Kevin. in uh, Lex. It's located in Lexington, Kentucky. Well, speaking of words and learning them, do you have a favorite word? I've never. I have a lot of favorite words, <laughs> but um, I've never thought of a favorite word. So probably uh, leadership, because we're lacking so much of that. Absolutely. And sure. Jesse is being really, really nice because my question was, what's your favorite curse word? But you don't have to tell us that. No. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to tell us that. Um, so would you say that reading is your soapbox topic? Is that um, that thing that you can get on your soapbox and talk to parents about and preach to them about? Would you consider that? I would, it would probably be, probably be my soapbox because if you can't read, you really can't do anything. You can't fill out an application. You can't read directions. You don't know what bus to, to take. You won't know what the menu is at a restaurant. So reading is fundamental to everything in our life. And once you learn to read, then you can do your math. Uh, you can travel, you can speak to people in more than uh, three-letter words or four-letter words. Uh, you build your vocabulary, and uh, you and you will enjoy uh, reading. You know, the library, Rudisell Library has a reading uh, summer program for children and parents and adults where you can come and read so many books and they give you a prize or something and to in, to uh, influence people to read more. I have belonged to a book club. I haven't been able to do a book club here lately because I'm so busy with other with volunteer stuff. And so right now my, my biggest reading thing is the Bible because I'm taking Bible study. <laughs> For our listening audience, they can't tell that we are in a room full of books. I'm also a fan of reading. If that's what happens when you're the son of an English teacher. You become fans of reading. Or a single child. That's true. I'm my mother's only child, so I spent a lot of time reading. Yeah. Well, and I'm my mother's only child. so That <laughs> was the baby. I have an older sister. Uh, but we also always had books around, which apparently is also something. like It's not just reading to your children. It's having books around. Right. Because, you know. I I'm, am a collector as well. I have way too many books, but I have lots of books because I remember growing up and there were books everywhere. And I want, I want to have those books on my bookshelves too. When I got older. I know. Funny story. Uh, I have had books around my entire life. My mom, um, like I said, I'm a single child. So I've always had books. My youngest, uh, we had the books in the bookshelves all around a lot of uh, African-American uh, mm-hmm. Books, a lot of those things. Uh, she grew up in Monte Cassino, then went to Owasso, so predominantly white educational avenue. So she decided she wanted to go to Howard for college. And then she got 
to Howard and she would call home and she would be like, Mom, have you ever heard of this book? Do you know about so-and-so? And I was like, it's upstairs on the bookshelf. <laughs> no. And she's like, really? And so it's really funny to me that it took her to move into that space to to recognize what she had at home. And so now she's kind of ravaged my con- collection and I go to her house and like, this is mine. This is mine. Where'd you get th- this is mine. So uh, books are have always been important to our family. One last question. What did we not ask you that you think we should have asked? What is the one thing you wish people understood about teen pregnancy? Uh, I don't think we talked about that. And I guess uh, the one thing I, I would want people to understand is that these are young girls. They're babies themselves having babies. And they need the support, all the support you can give them to help them become young women. And they do have that potential. Um, but don't close the door on them thinking that uh, this is the end and you can't go any further. I've heard that said. You're going to be just like your mother or your father or some other relative. You never know what that person is going to become. Now, there may have been a time when we didn't have a lot of options, but now with uh, technology and um, the the diversity of the world and the international concept of the world, uh, you can become anything uh, that you want to be. You just have to want it enough and uh, work towards it. Nobody can tell you what you can't do anymore. Uh, You can learn Japanese and go and live in Japan and work for the Japanese. You can learn German and go to Germany and, and work for the Germans. Or you can be an interpreter at the United Nations. Um, with any of those languages. And if you learn Spanish, you can definitely be an interpreter anywhere in Tulsa. Uh, So there are different needs. Or you can be a high-tech person. Just because you're a girl or a woman, now that's the other thing. There are no doors uh, closed to our young women anymore, where there used to be. Young women are breaking the glass seating, even though we haven't broke it for our national office. We are breaking the the glass ceiling for so many other uh, areas of of our different professions and around the world, not just here in Tulsa. And and Tulsa should not be your your mirror to look at. Look at the world because people are coming to Tulsa from all over the world to work. So that means you can go to uh, Sydney, Australia to work if you like. Um, just have the initiative and we as adults should be encouraging young people to go beyond themselves and think out of the box is a common word used, but it is a thing of thinking out of the box when it comes to your career. Can can I add one more sure. thing? If I, if I could add one more thing, I would say we also have to include the fathers um, for far too long. We've done things that excluded the fathers, Um, That's why we use the word expecting instead of pregnant, because the two of them are expecting only one of them is pregnant. And so we have to make a conscious effort to include these young men. And in my work, I found that more often than not, they are the one who has who have the fewer resources to become all they can be also. 
So um, it takes two to get pregnant. And we want to make sure that the men understand that we want them to be a part because um, that only makes the development for the child that much better. Well, and I guess I should have included this. I, I thought about it earlier, but we, we went on to something else when you were talking about um, the progression of Margaret Hudson. As it did progress and gain more uh, staff, we did start having groups for the uh, fathers as well to come in and talk. They also set up a nursery. So uh, once you had the baby, you could uh, come back to school and bring your baby and you were taught how to care for your baby, uh, which was very important because uh, we ran into issues of abuse simply because the baby cries. Um, Okay. See why the baby's crying. You can't smack the baby and think it's going to be quiet. Uh, so learning how to care for the baby and how to uh, control yourself as well, but also uh, working with the fathers and knowing that they were a part of this uh, whole scenario and they needed to be more supportive uh, if they were going to accept the fact that they were the fathers of the baby. You know, in some cases they didn't, or sometimes they wanted proof. But for those who did, it was a, a very rewarding experience. And in some cases, they did get married later on and, and have, because I know some uh, couples who did get married and are still together to this day. And let me thank you also for um, what you poured into my life. Um, I never um, saw my current path as the path that I would take. However, I think the encouragement that I received from the staff at Margaret Hudson uh, and the assistance and and the learning opportunities that I received um, still continue to be a part of me every day. I find a way to incorporate something that I learned there into my daily conversations. So let me also thank you for what you've done for my life. If I've never said it before, I want to say it now. Well, thank you for remembering. (laughs) That's very nice. Well, that's a good note to end it on. Thank you again for coming to talk to us. Mm -hmm. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you all for listening to this month's James Inc. podcast. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation as much as we did. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts can be found. And to find out more about James Inc., don't forget to follow them on Facebook or check out their website, which will be in our show notes. See you all next month.